never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Pastor Eli James here, going live here on Eurofolk Radio and also on Telegram. And for those of you who want to join me on Telegram, and uh, you can uh, join the uh, broadcast, but I won't be addressing anybody on Telegram until after the Eurofolk Radio Show, because uh, the Eurofolk Radio people can't hear what's going on at Telegram, although the Telegram group can hear what's going on Eurofolk Radio. Okay, so that's the way that works. So let's get started here. Eurofolk Radio, and today's topic is the... Uh, the uh, Star Wars by Nord Davis. Nord Davis, and uh, it's called The Outpost of Freedom. And uh, it's an excellent website. Uh, let me just give it to you on the air here. HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash outpost of freedom. That hyphens between those words dot com. Outpost of Freedom. And uh, you can get this. It's actually a book that Nord Davis wrote. Nord Davis is one of the best CI teachers around. Well, he's deceased, but when he was alive, he was one of the best CI teachers around. Very erudite, uh, did tremendous research and uh, explaining the two seed line point of view, Christian identity and all its, uh, and all its facets. Very excellent writer and speaker, but he was mainly a writer. And he was operating in North Carolina for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, if not longer. I subscribed to his newsletter, which uh, was coming out in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. So I subscribed to his newsletter for all that time and uh, called him every so often. So it's a uh, a relationship that I wish I could have had uh, uh, more, you know, interaction with him, but uh, his newsletters and uh, and his uh, booklets uh, were really outstanding. And uh, you know, I wrote him back every, every so often, explaining you know how, how much I appreciate his work. Anyway, he was a great influence on Christian identity, especially in the Southeast, being located, of course, in North Carolina. So, Star Wars is a multi-part series let me just back up here real quick i think it is let me scroll down uh 15 it's a 15 lesson book and i'm gonna skip the introduction and go into star wars lesson one and this is about the covenant message as you know we've been covering the covenant message here on eurofolk radio fairly uh regularly on, on these weekends, and the 
primarily in the book of uh, Galatians. And it's going to be continuing this Sunday on Voice of Christian Israel because the book of Galatians, in fact, all of the New Testament is a continuation of the exclusive covenants between Yahweh Elohim and the descendants of Abraham, which were narrowed down to the descendants of Isaac and then narrowed down again to the descendants of Jacob. Okay. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the covenant people are none other than the descendants of Jacob in the world today. Nobody else actually counts because Isaac, although there are other Saxons in the world today, the covenant relationship between Yahweh and the covenant people got narrowed down uh, so it only covers Israel. So the 12 tribes of Israel are the covenant people and everybody else is excluded. The Bible is a very, very exclusive book. The idea that the Bible was written for everybody on the planet is simply absurd. There's no truth to that explanation whatsoever. And it's simply a lie. And uh, there, it was actually, that lie was actually invented by the Jews who wanted us to delude ourselves. There's a prophecy. This reminds me of this prophecy. The power of the holy people will be scattered. The power of the holy people will be scattered. That, as I recall, is in Daniel. And I may just uh, reference that uh, as we go along here, a very important prophecy. And indeed, our power has been scattered all over the place. Why? Because we've given our power away to all of the non-white races of the world. And of course, the Jewish people have stolen our power by by making us, well, number one, a laughingstock of the world by being the, their puppets, okay, and also by claiming our our inheritance, okay? That's uh, Esau. Esau has stolen our inheritance. Not totally. There's still a few Israelites, Adamic Israelites left in this world who understand that we are Israel, not the Jews. And I'd have to say I'm really gratified that more and more websites, in fact, everybody I talked to lately has told me that as they surf the net they and they look at the comments sections of the various websites that usually address the Jewish question without mentioning the Jews right they're the deep state or they're uh, you know the uh, what is it the, the the Democrats versus the Republicans all of the shenanigans that are going on in politics the there's always Jew savvy people in the chat areas lambasting the Jews. So the the awareness of the Jews and their intense and tremendous power in media is being exposed by people who are going online into the in the chat room sections and comment sections of various websites. Of course, uh, anybody who tries to get away with saying that about the Jews on YouTube or other I think Gab is the only one that really allows uh, Jew bashing to any extent. I haven't been banned from there, although I haven't been posting that much on Gab lately. I've just been too busy. But nevertheless, Star Wars Lesson 1. This is from the days when all we had was print media, in Christian identity I'm talking, 
with a few exceptions like Pastor Sheldon Emery, who had a nationally syndicated radio show from Phoenix, Arizona, in which he talked about the Jews not being Israel. And uh, so he was a pioneer of Christian identity talk radio, and he eventually was put out of business because the ADL put pressure on his uh, the owner of the radio station, his venue, and uh, told the owner of that station, if you don't uh, shut off Sheldon Emery, we will make sure to kill your radio station. And so he caved, and he had to take Sheldon Emery off the air. That's the way it works. And, of course, yours truly, I've been kicked off of at least a dozen radio stations, and that's why I had to start Eurofolk Radio. So I I, I wouldn't kick myself off now, would I? (laughs) Maybe I, I could do that by accident. No, I can't do that by accident. So, Anyway, going back, oh, starting out with Pastor Dan Johns, uh, I forget the, the very first radio network I was on with him, and then there was Talk Shoe and uh, various others, uh, of course, Republic Broadcasting Network, I had a six-month show there before I got booted off, that was actually the most, not necessarily the most listened to, but the most dynamic in terms of call-ins, because we took a lot of call-ins. So we had an hour's worth of, of uh, talk. And then typically when we opened up the lines for call-ins, uh, the rest of the show was very, very lively. So we had the, mo- the liveliest call-in uh, show on Republic Broadcasting Network. So that was really a lot of fun. So here, let's get to it. Yeah, uh, Gab, thank you, Swamp Fox. Uh, Gab.com, Pastor Eli James. I just put posted... Uh, my Yahweh is the Holy One of Israel article, but uh, there's so many people posting on my channel uh, on Gab that uh, my my articles get lost. But most of the stuff there is actually good. Uh, it's good patriotic and identity posting going on there. I'll have to see if I can keep my, my postings on top of the page and everybody else is underneath. I'll have to ask them how to do that. I'm sure, because it's just like Facebook. You you post something on Facebook, and there's a million other people posting, and uh, your, your post gets lost. So we try not to get these uh, postings lost in the mix, all right? But here, let's go. Star Wars, Lesson 1, by Nord Davis, Jr. And he starts out talking about these two young, uh, two young men that he ran into in a small town, and he says, these young men had opened their discussion with me by asking me if I was a New Testament Christian. Okay. Now, there are such people that who call themselves New Testament Christians as if the Old Testament is irrelevant, can't possibly be irrelevant, because our Messiah was prophesied in the Old Testament, and he continues the covenant message from the Old Testament. There's no change whatsoever from New to Old Testament, except for the fact that the sacrificial rituals have been done away with. Of course, that's because Messiah had come. And all of that ritualistic stuff going on in the the Old Testament came to an end because it was prophesied it would come to an end because he is our Passover lamb. He is because we're, we're talking about the kingdom in the present tense because the kingdom is within you, within you Israelites, or among us Israelites. Could be translated either way. 
When I did not respond promptly enough, they began their presentation to me by taking me down the primrose path of the Roman road. My first question to these is sincere, sincere, not insincere people, was this, quote, what is the New Testament anyway? In any sales arena, once you get the prospect talking or asking questions, you're on your way to a sale, okay? Remember that. So, ask a really good question. I remember posting a a cartoon where a lady answers the door and there's a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses at the door. She's got the door open. She's looking at them. And uh, the two guys ask her, have you found Jesus? And uh, on the side of the cartoon, there's a Jesus hiding behind the curtain. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to accost or be accosted by these Jehovah's Witnesses, the, implying, uh, "Lady, don't tell them I'm here. I don't want. I don't want to engage them." Anyway, great cartoon, really. So, what is the New Testament anyway? So, as, if you're a good salesperson. And I guess all of us in identity at some point have to become a salesman or a saleswoman because we have to sell our true version of Scripture to other people. How do we do that? Well, actually, this, this Star Wars Lesson 1 is a very good way of approaching people. And it really should be done on a one, one-on-one basis, unless you can get a small group of people together. Uh, but really, one-on-one is best. So if you can invite a Judeo out for lunch, or if you're pursuing a girlfriend, uh, invite her out for lunch, and use this as your calling card for a Christian identity. Because the, the lessons here are very simple, straightforward, and really can't be argued against. But let's continue. So in other words, you have to become a salesman to purvey the identity message. Having told me that they were graduating students, they were more than willing to answer my question. Further, now ask them a question they think they know the answer to, right? And then read this lesson to them. You know, just, you know, go, go through it line by line and see how they respond to all of these uh, great points that Nord Davis makes. So they were more than willing to answer my question. Why? Because they knew, they thought they knew the answer. Further, since they had claimed that glorious status that they were New Testament Christians, it was up to them to explain the term. <laughs> okay? Now, this is where you put the Christian on the spot. What do you mean? by a New Testament Christian. One of them told me that while the Old Testament dealt with the Jews and the law, the New Testament was primarily for the Gentiles and operated under Christ's grace. He flatly stated that the New Testament church was not to be concerned with the old law, which had been abandoned at the cross, but was to emphasize Christ's grace. This is standard modern Judeo-Christianity, folks, except for Catholicism, which claims to adhere to the law, but it doesn't. The other student nodded in agreement, but then added that Almighty God had been unsuccessful with the Jews. 
Even God can't convert to Jews. <laughs> Even Yahshua couldn't convert the Jews. How about that, folks? And he had no intention of converting them. Most Judeo-Christians will never admit that as a fact, but actually it's true. Yahshua had no intention of converting Jews. And he didn't. Thus, our Heavenly Father had to put out a new plan, bringing the gospel to the so-called Gentiles, who are the non-Jewish people. Man, can you see all of the false doctrine that we have already covered here? Jew, Gentile, New Testament Christian, the law has been done away with or is nailed to the cross. Grace versus the law. All of these are false doctrines. And we're not even done with the second paragraph here. It's just a few sentences. Okay, so the student then added as though it was an established fact that Almighty, excuse me, Almighty God had done his best with the Jewish people. <laughs> no, you can't save them. They're unsalvageable. But when they rejected his son, he decided to extend the plan of salvation to all the world, they say. All humanoids, whosoever will, to accept and have the peace of knowing that they would go to heaven when they die. Well, that isn't even true for New Testament Christians because they've got it all wrong. Anyway, I had heard that the theology promoted for years. But did they have scripture to back it up? In all of their answers, only a summary of which is written above, they still had not answered the question. What is the New Testament? If you're going to talk about something, especially if you expect to teach others, you ought to know what the terms mean. <laughs> all right. This is why yours truly has specialized in word studies and def true definitions of words as opposed to what the Jews teach and the Judeos teach, none of which is true. I mean, it's all poppycock. Do you know what poppycock means? <laughs> Maybe somebody can look it up and define it for me, okay? What is a testament? What is a covenant? The rare is the Judeo who knows at all what it is, okay? So let's continue here. Diateke is the Greek word. Diateke. From... This is 1242 from 1303, properly a disposition, for example, specifically a contract. That's the Greek definition, a contract, especially a divisory will. That's testament. I would put that under testament more specifically. Covenant is an agreement or a contract, a legal contract between the party of the first part and the party of the second part. Testament. Testament is usually used in terms of when the will is read or the um, statement made by the testator, which Paul gets into in Galatians chapter 4, which I will cover on Sunday. Oh, by the way, let me really quickly state right here now, before I forget, that 
Next week, I will be out of town, and I'll be visiting Greg, Pastor Greg, in California. So it'll be a really fun time for me, and I'll be gone over the Thanksgiving weekend. But I should be back. I should be able to do a show from Greg's house on Friday night, and uh, but then I'll be getting on a plane coming back to Harrison on Saturday. So I don't think I'll be able to do the Saturday morning show. So I'll, I'll put all that together before I leave. But I should be able to do all the rest of the shows. I'll be back home by next next week, Saturday evening. So let's continue. And looking forward to that. I haven't seen Greg in years. Oh, by the way, I also happened to speak with Pastor Stephen Anderson in Kentucky earlier today. And unfortunately, his he had a stroke. As many of you know, I had a mild stroke a week ago Sunday on the Voice of Christian Israel. Sorry, on the Bloodline show. And toward the end, I was not able to put my brain, get my brain and mouth synced together. <laughs> okay, which is what happens when you get a stroke. Fortunately, it only lasted a few hours. And I don't think I have any residual effects whatsoever. I think actually I'm in great voice. And uh, the connectivity between my brain and my mouth and my vocal cords, pretty good. Pretty good. So, But uh, I think I know why I had that stroke. Uh, too much sugar and uh, processed foods. And, and I think, uh, well, there might be a couple other reasons, but I won't go into that. Uh, I'll do another health show in the near future, because I think I may have discovered a way out of this mess of uh, the sugar affecting the brain, okay, the sugar affecting the brain, which is a common uh, symptom of pre-diabetes and diabetes, okay, so people get strokes when they have diabetes and all kinds of other symptoms, right, so fortunately I haven't had any other serious symptoms, but a bit, except for uh, frequent urination, <laughs> that that and that has gotten better since I have uh, really gone keto as much keto as possible. So let's continue. So th- this this crazy idea that the law has been done away with and that the Bible, the Old Testament is for Jews and the New Testament is for Gentiles, nonsense, folks. It's absolute nonsense. Okay, so on the way to get a cup of coffee with them, I went past my car and picked up my Bible. Well, actually, you should have a Bible with you if you want to save souls or convert ignorant Christians to true Christianity, then you should always have a Bible with you. While enjoying coffee, I went on to teach my surprised students that in every case in the New Testament, both the word testament and the word covenant were translated from the same Greek word diateke. It is Strong's Greek word number 1242, as I had noted in my Cambridge Wide Margin Bible. And I have a Cambridge Bible too, although it's not wide margin. When I opened my Bible on the table before them and they saw all the notes I had put there in the margins, they knew that they had been had. Suckered. Both words mean a contract. Well, what is a contract? 
what is this New Testament contract under which someone must perform according to a specific thing before I can become a Christian? Or anybody can become a Christian, even an Israelite. If you're not willing to perform the terms of the contract, you're not going to be led into the kingdom. It's really that simple. You have to perform the terms of the contract. Yeah, Pastor Steve, uh, I talked to him on the phone, and uh, unfortunately, he has not, his stroke symptoms have not gotten any better. He still thinks that uh, he's going back to Lexington, Kentucky, where he spent like four or five years before his stroke. And so I had to tell him, no, all, uh, you, you don't have that apartment anymore, and you can't. You can't rent it out anymore. It's already been rented to somebody else. And so he's still in that uh, state of delusion about going back to Lexington, where he was actually having quite a lot of fun. He really enjoyed his stay there in Lexington, except for the bed bugs and the cockroaches and the lice and that sort of thing. It was a government-sponsored you know, building with all kinds of derelicts living there. I think uh, Pastor Steve was the... Uh, best resident they had at that, but it was provided free by the government, so you can't complain, right? Can't complain. Anyway, let's continue here. So, you have to be able to perform the terms of the contract, and obviously there's not a Christian in the world who thinks of the New Testament in terms of being a contract between Yahweh our Father and us, Israel, with, of course, Yeshua being the middleman, the guy who reads the will or, or puts the will into action, put it that way, okay? So, so, and he says, they thought they had answered my question, and here I was asking them the same question again. They simply could not understand what my question had to do with the plan of salvation, <laughs> all right? Do you know the meaning of the word testament? What has that got to do with salvation? Everything. Quite frankly, as we shall see, as it says, it has everything to do with it. If you are under the New Testament and it is a binding contract of some kind, who is the party of the first part and who is the party of the second part? And what performance does the contract spell out in lawful terms? What is the consideration? When does or did it go into effect? If you cannot answer these questions, do not feel ignorant. Well, you should feel ignorant if you can't answer these questions. For these graduating students of a very well-known Bible college could not do so either. For them, my questions were just as if the Bible had hundreds of blank pages. And he actually went around trying to find a Bible that had blank pages, but he couldn't find one. Maybe we can print one up. <laughs> this, is, this is the Bible that the Judeo-Christians use, and the Jews also, because the Jews don't follow the Old Testament either. They have perverted the Old Testament, and the Judeo-Christians have perverted the New Testament. That's the reality, folks. So, who was the party of the first part? Who was the party of the second part? And who is the mediator? We will get into that Sunday on Voice of Christian Israel. Okay, let's continue. 
If you cannot answer these questions, you're in trouble. Any contract is binding on all parties, and each of them can legally force the other to perform according to the terms, exactly as set forth. It is an exclusive document. In other words, if you are not named in it, you are not a party to it. That's law, folks. That's law. Now, of course, Yahweh and Yahshua have been keeping their part of the covenant, the contract, but we Israelites have been sorely, sorely lacking in keeping our part of the contract. Here's a definition of contract from Black, Black's Law Dictionary. Contract, a promissory agreement between two or more persons that creates, modifies, or destroys a legal relation. Buffalo Press Steel Company versus Kirwan, and I won't read the numbers, Mexican Petroleum Corporation of Louisiana versus North German Lloyd, an agreement upon sufficient consideration to do or not to do a particular thing. Several more citations here. An agreement between two or more parties, preliminary step in making of which is offered by one and acceptance by the other, in which minds of parties meet and concur. Now, now this contract was given at Sinai. Yahweh was the party in the first part. Moses was the mediator. He delivered a contract, those stone tablets, and the Israelites accepted it, saying that we will abide by these laws that Moses wrote down and the laws that were given to the Israelites in the 40 years wandering. And every Feast of Tabernacles, the, we Israelites are supposed to read the law to one another, go through the law as much as we possibly can. And that's what the Feast of Tabernacles is all about. We're supposed to read the law aloud to everybody gathered there. Of course, most of us don't have time to spend a whole week or eight days at Feast of Tabernacles. So we should be stressing the law at Feast of Tabernacles. Let's continue. This was from uh, Lee versus Travelers Insurance Company. A deliberate engagement between competent parties upon a legal consideration to do or abstain from doing some act. It is agreement it is agreement creating obligation in which there must be competent parties subject matter, legal consideration, mutuality of agreement, and mutuality of obligation. An agreement must not be so vague or uncertain that terms are not ascertainable. Further, a contract or agreement is either where a promise is made on one side and assented to on the other, or where two or more persons enter into engagement with each other by a promise on either side. Okay, I scratch my back, you scratch... Oh, no, wait a minute. That's not, <laughs> I scratch your back, you scratch mine. Or I pick your pocket, you pick mine. The writing which contains the agreement of parties with the terms and conditions and which serves as a proof of the obligation. Okay, well, actually that ha occurred between Esau and Jacob. When Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a mess of pottage, the scriptures say that Jacob had a record of that contract. 
and he saved it. I'll bet that still exists somewhere. Let's continue. So, any agreement is binding. Any contract is binding on all parties. Okay, I'm getting the clicking noise. Hold on, folks. Uh, shouldn't have, There's no power problem with my hotspot, so I'll just continue. All right, so anyway, he's engaged these two. Are they graduate students in some Bible college? Or just uh, maybe they just graduated, I think he said. Anyway, I guess when uh, certain denominations send you out into the world after you graduate, then you have to go knocking on people's doors and try to convert them. Okay? So, but let me repeat what he just said before this block quote that I was doing. Any contract is binding on all parties, and each of them can legally force the other to perform according to the terms exactly as set forth. It is an exclusive document. In other words, if you are not named in it, you are not a party to it. Okay? So, since the covenant was made between Yahweh and Israel and no other people, no one else is even concerned with it, has anything to say about it, is between us and Yahweh. Is that clear? It should be clear, folks. That's how the way contracts work. Anybody who would want to include other people, certainly in an inheritance, without discussing the terms of the inheritance, would be an absolute fool or a drunkard. But we have a lot of drunkards in Israel, don't we? All right. When I had stopped at my car which is a mint condition Lincoln Mark IV, the young men remarked about it. So in talking with them over coffee, I asked them if they had a car while here at school. One said he did not. The other pointed to the street in front of the restaurant to a nice-looking older Chevy pickup sitting at the curb. I asked him if he meant the blue one with the expired meter. (laughs) He bounded out to feed the meter before he came into conflict with the law. I asked him later if there was some pl- some price at which he would sell me that pretty truck. He admitted that at some price he'd sell it, but it would be high. A lot more than the book value, he said. I told him that in this case, money was no object. Suppose I bought that blue Chevy truck and drove it home. How would the public ever know that there was a contract between us? You would be the party of the first part, and I would be the party of the second part, and the object of the contract would be the pickup. How does the world know what, that I own that truck now that you no longer own it? Well, the license plate, except to the police officer, would not prove it. Nor, in fact, would the contract itself, or no one would ever see it either. Or the subsequent title, as they would both be locked away in my safe. No, they would properly assume some contract must exist. Or within a few days, the blue light would come by and take it away from me. Does that make sense? Yeah, there is a law after all. Now, so that we will understand any contract a little more specifically, suppose that I left my keys to my new truck in the ignition and some person jumped in and drove off with it. What would you call that person? You would call him a thief. Yes, but why is he a thief? 
there is only one reason. When push comes to shove, his name is not to be found on the contract or the title or the insurance papers or the driver's license, etc. that conveyed your blue pickup to me. If his name is not on the contract, then he is not a party to the contract regardless of any other extenuating circumstances such as the fact that he is sitting in the driver's seat driving it illegally. No matter what were the cause or reason that a thief had to take my truck, the blunt fact is that the, he is a thief because the contract does not include his name. So that's why we have titles. That's why we have contracts, because you have to uh, proceed according to law. Now, with that lesson on the law in mind, what is the New Testament contract that you claim to be a party to? Who is the party of the first part, and who is the party of the second part? What is the blue pickup involved? When did the contract take effect, and what was the consideration that made it lawful? If you are a New Testament Christian, you should have no trouble delineating the terms to me. This should be basic Bible 101. And yet not one Christian in a thousand can answer that one question. Where do you find the terms of the New Testament set forth in Scripture? Hmm. I guess that's a tough one for Christians, isn't it? Well, especially for New Testament Christians, the only place you will find it is in the Old Testament, folks. The Old Testament. Now, setting aside the problems of the terms Israel, Jew, Judahite, Judean, etc., which those of us in identity have clear and uh, clear-cut definitions of those terms, the Judeo-Christian world does not, and certainly the Jews don't have clear-cut definitions of these terms, because these terms must be exclusive. They must be inclusive of a certain group and exclusive of all other groups. Therefore, a Judahite is one who is descended from the tribe of Judah and directly from Judah through his parents. Nobody else counts as a Judahite. A Judean is a completely different animal. You have to have precise definitions of these terms in order for the contract to be fulfilled. Let's continue. Now, with that lesson on law in mind, what is the New Testament that you claim to be a party to? And the, the, they couldn't answer the question. I pointed my two young students to Hebrews chapter 8 at verse 8, which states, quote, For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Of course, this is being quoted from chapter 31 of Jeremiah. So we find that Paul is quoting the terms of the con, or who the uh, party of the second part is in the Old Testament. These words came from the King James Version, but I want to add here. However differently we Christians believe on other matters, these same exact words and intent appear in the Roman Catholic Douay Rheims and every other old and new translation on my library shelves. Now that you have read this verse, who is the party of the first part? Answer, Yahweh. How reliable is this contract? It is as reliable as Almighty God's word, and that is beyond question. 
Now be careful in your answer. Who is the party of the second part? Does your Bible say that the party of the second part is the Gentiles? Meaning some non-Israelite people? Is the party of the second part either all men or whosoever will? No, the exclusive contract is with only two entities, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Do you see that? Okay, <laughs> right? And that's confirmed in the New Testament. Hebrews 8.8. 8. Okay, oh, all right. So people in um, Telegram are saying that my transmission is choppy. So it's something uh, I'll have to fix uh, as time goes on. I was able to fix that uh, when I had the old uh, Telegram channel. So sorry about that. Uh, thanks for letting me know there. Uh, we definitely, uh, we'll, I'll definitely have to work on that. Okay. So, all right. Sorry about that. I uh, can't fix it while I'm live on the air, but I will d- definitely address that next time. Okay. Try to take care of it before tomorrow's shows. Okay. All right. Let's continue. All right, so let's get back to the lesson here, Star Wars Lesson 1, the covenant. What is a covenant? These words came from the King James Bible, and it's repeated in every other Bible. Now, the question to be resolved is this. If you are not part of either the house of Israel or the house of Judah, what right do you have to the New Testament contract, whatever it is? Don't you see that if you are not one of the or one or the other of these entities, you have no right whatever? You are just like the thief making off with my blue Chevy pickup, claiming some kind of right when none really exists. We do not care about all your extenuating circumstances. We are not interested in your humanist philosophy, posing as Christianity that insinuates that Almighty God would not be either fair or loving if he made his contract only with the Israel people. One of these young men tried to introduce the foolish idea that the Gentiles were supposed to be grafted in and be thus granted a place in the covenant. I reminded him that only olive branches can be grafted into olive trees. And that's scientific fact, folks, biological fact. You cannot graft in either figs or sugar maple branches to olive trees. If you do that, they will produce figs or sugar sugar maple. The other young preacher suggested that it was the non-Israelite Gentiles who, in Jesus, had become spiritual Israel. I asked him if he could show me the term spiritual Israel anywhere in the Bible, and he admitted that he had never seen it in all the years he had been studying at Tennessee Temple. Hmm, Tennessee Temple. I told him that the word of God states that the New Testament is made with the same people, that is, the sons of the same people, the children of the same people, that the Old Testament was made with. Read the next verse, folks. This is an outstanding way to introduce the covenant message to anybody you want to talk to. Like I said, treat them to breakfast, treat them to lunch. Have a beer, have a glass of wine, but not too much, right? <laughs> it might result in fisticuffs if it's too much. Quote, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. We broke the contract. And I regarded them not, saith Yahweh. So we can see here that Almighty God has not changed his mind 
and abandoned his people Israel in favor of all men or whosoever, but made the New Testament with the very same people as before. Tell me, if you are not the children of those fathers of old, what business do you have claiming the rights and privileges of this new covenant? Of course, they had to admit that they really could not make any such claim if they were not of either Israel or Judah. After a number of years in Bible school, with their spiritual future all carefully laid out, they suddenly had the expressions of someone on the outside looking in. I told them not to let their heart be troubled, for we need to read the terms of the New Covenant to get the rest of the story. It really does have a happy ending, for it is the world's most beautiful love story. And that's how we have to present it, as a love story. And if we can keep them interested, maybe you can put the ring on her finger. Now that we know who the party of the first part is, and who the party of the second part is, what in the New Testament contract is the object, like the blue pickup, of the contract? What is to be done, and by whom? Here is what the Word of God has to say about the terms of the New Testament as set forth in Hebrews 8.10. Quote, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith Yahweh. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them as a God, and they shall be to me a people. Okay? So here is Paul directly quoting from the Old Testament again. So you see, contrary to what your preacher teaches you on Sunday after Sunday, the New Testament church is based upon the New Testament contract which specifies God's laws twice and never even mentions the matter of grace once. Where do they get this nonsense that the law has been done away with and they are some kind of New Testament Christian living under simple grace? Don't you see that without the law in full force and effect, there would be no value whatever to any grace that might be later bestowed upon us? To understand this teaching, think of yourself speeding down the highway and being pulled over by a state trooper. He has your speed posted right there in his radar gun. You have violated the law. It is the trooper's job to give you a citation that may cost you $100. You know that you will have to pay. Still, he is looking at you and making a decision as to whether or not to actually give you the citation. Suddenly, for no apparent legal reason, he decides to let you go with a warning. Quote, take it easy through here, unquote. His warning was grace, for by the law, he should have given you a ticket. Now, suppose that there was no such thing as a highway speed law. First, the trooper would have no right to even stop you. If he did stop you and then gave you his grace, of what value would it be? No value. He could not have given you a citation anyway. And that's still true in Germany, folks, because there are no speed limits in Germany, and they have a lot of fatal crashes there. Did you see how subtle the deceiving ministers are by destroying the value and beauty of grace by teaching the lie that the very essence of the New Testament, God's law in our minds and hearts, has been done away with at the cross? That's a mouthful. Let me repeat it. Can you imagine these young preachers by this time? They <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I jumped the gun here. Do you see how subtle the deceiving ministers are by destroying the value and beauty of grace by teaching the lie that the very essence of the New Testament, God's law in our minds and hearts, has been done away with at the cross? Very subtle lie, isn't it? 
Then, if the deceiver can seduce you into eating swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things, he can get you to where you will be forbidden to enter into the kingdom as set forth in Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 7, and Isaiah 66, 17. So, I think, let me see. Let me go, I, to, let me uh, quote it, because I don't think he quotes it here. Looks like, oh, wait a minute. I think he's got it in a little box here. No, that's something else. So, okay. Well, hey, let me read the the statements in the box. So he was just quoting uh, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 37. And he's uh, quoting here more of Hebrews. So before I go to Hebrews, let me go to Isaiah, where he uh, is uh testifying on behalf of Isaiah. So, 65 verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 65 verses 1 through 7. And let's go there. Let's go there. Let's make our escape from this world, right? Let's go there. We better go there. That's the only place worth going to. All right. I've got Isaiah. Let's scroll all the way down to chapter 65. And 1 through 7. I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Well, that's us in the present time, right? Nobody wants to call us Israel. Because everybody thinks the Jews are Israel. (laughs) Isn't that absurd to think that the Jews are Israel? No, they're not. Okay, let's continue. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, that's us, which walk in a way that was not good after their own thoughts. The Jews can't be a rebellious people because they never received the law at Sinai. Those were Edomites, descended from Esau. Verse 3, a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in, in their vessels, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all day. How many holier-than-thou Judeo-Christians have you met in your life? What's in your wallet? Which say, stand by myself, for I am holier-than-thou. Verse 6, Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense, into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith Yahweh, which have burnt incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Okay, that's Isaiah 65. And let's go quickly to Isaiah 66, 17. One chapter down. 66, 17. They that sanctify themselves and purify themselves in the gardens behind one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination 
and the mouse shall be consumed together, saith Yahweh. Okay, I guess if you eat ground pork, <laughs> there may be some mice uh, in the mix there, right? Well, it's, it's getting really dangerous to buy any kind of processed food at a grocery store. Very, very dangerous. Okay, folks, so let's get back to our topic here. Nord Davis, outstanding teacher of the word. Can you imagine these young preachers by this time? They had believed that they were New Testament Christians. They had been taught and firmly believed that this meant that the law had been abandoned at the cross and that grace had supplanted it for the past 2,000 years. Now here comes Nord Davis Jr. teaching them that even the wonderful New Testament applied only to some long-forgotten entities called the House of Israel and the House of Judah. To make matters worse, it now appeared that all the non-Israelite Gentiles seem to have no part in the New Testament in the first place. That is correct. As with the dog lady in the foreword, they could not steal, beg, or wish their way into the exclusive status, even if they wanted to do so. The plain fact is that the New Testament was never made with the church at all, and the Bible never says so. Instead, it was made with a very distinct racial and national entity with implications dealing with the matters of the law. Who and where is Jacob Israel in this day and age? Now, of course, this is introductory material for those who've never heard Christian identity before. And, of course, the Judeo-Christians need to hear it very, very badly. They need to hear this very, very badly. Let's see if we can figure it out. First of all, when did the New Testament contract go into effect? Some say that the New Testament began with St. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's what St. Paul has to say on the matter. Quote, And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promises of eternal inheritance. Now, they which are called. Who is called? Can anybody besides Israel be called? For where there a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Okay? So somebody has to die for the will to be read and for the will to be granted to its inheritors. So the New Testament went into effect at the very instant that Christ died on the cross. At that instant, wherever the house of Israel and house of Judah were located in the dispersion, they suddenly had the law written in their minds and in their hearts. At that moment, Almighty God became a God to them again, and they became his people again. Wherever the Jacob Israel people were located from that time on, Christianity began to grow. Why did this happen? It happened because God's law became an intrinsic part of their minds and hearts. Yes, they were sinners, but the difference is that they knew they were doing wrong when they did it. Or at least they were able to acknowledge it. And I'd say most white Israelite people do know it when they commit sin. But they harden their hearts. Who hardens their hearts? They do. And of course, Yahweh will harden your heart even more if you are a, how should I put it, a consistent offender. 
right? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I will send them a great delusion. Why? Because they have no love of the truth. Other peoples, as is clear around the world, do not seem to have this internal guiding gift of the law written in their inward parts. They don't have a conscience like we do. In fact, most of these other races, they, they have very little conscience. The conscience do, they do have usually is extended only to their immediate families. You see this is true in the Muslim world, in the Arab world, among the Chinamen. Even among the Japanese, and they treat, they can treat each other very harshly, and uh, they don't have that generous generosity of spirit. Although the Japanese have a formal way of expressing it, uh, the fact is that uh, you better live up to their your their expectations of you, otherwise they will come down very hard on you. But let's continue. None of these other peoples, as Nord Davis says very clearly, do not seem to have this internal guiding gift of the law written in their inward parts. There is a school of incorrect theology which teaches that the blessings of the New Testament are now applied to the body of believers, which they call the church. Yet, long after the church has been established, St. Paul in Hebrews still goes right back and proclaims the New Testament on the two houses of Jacob Israel. The New Testament, as you will see as we look closer and closer at it, is a national and racial blessing. The main thing to resolve is which people are the inheritors of that blessing. Okay? Who are they? And I would say only 1%, maybe even less than that, of people who call themselves Christians who are also white. They're they are Israel, but they don't know they're Israel, can hardly answer that question. That's how deluded Yahweh's word has become in the modern world. And we, we know who to thank for that. We, I should say who to blame for that. Okay, It started out with the Zionists and their Schofield Reference Bible and uh, the so-called New Testament Christians, all these false doctrines that have come down the pike. Most of them if they didn't start with the Schofield Reference Bible, they were accentuated by. That's the rapture, uh, antinomianism, believe the church is composed of believers, not Israelites, etc., etc. Okay? It was then, and I believe it was published around 1910, that is the main culprit, and of course, the Zionists financed the promotion of the Schofield Reference Bible from that day forward, first at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and the uh, what is it, the theological Dallas Theological Seminary in Texas. Okay, that's where it all began. Of course, uh, and it goes back to Oxford University in London. That's where all of this stuff was promoted overseas. Okay, so this is the the challenge we face is to undo all the damage of the Schofield Reference Bible that has occurred. And there's only one thing that works, folks. It is a New Testament. <laughs> there's no doubt it is a New Testament, but for the same old people, right? <laughs> Thank you, Seven. A New Testament for the same old people, Israel, covenant Israel. And there's not one word in Scripture that even remotely suggests 
that anybody was added to the covenant or subtracted from the covenant unless we subtract ourselves by not obeying Yahweh's laws, okay? Because that was the contract that Sinai. Our ancestors, on our behalf, vowed that they would obey his laws. Now it's our turn to do so. And with love, because in the New Testament, and this Paul says this over and over again, what was lacking in the Old Testament was brotherly love. That the Israelites were very proud and haughty and actually cheated each other just like other races do. And that had to be corrected because his law was written in our hearts at, uh, well, first of all, in our minds at Sinai and in our hearts at Calvary. This is the story of the two, two covenants, both of which have the same law, except for the sacrificial law. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. Talk to you all next time. Bye-bye. Free people will never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.